God is doing some incredible, extraordinary, uh, unbelievable things. He really is. And I'm so excited about all that the Lord is doing. We started a series last week. I didn't plan it really to plan it to be, but I felt like it was turning out to be, and I guess I did in some measure, make this a series that I'm entitling Living in Victory. So I want you to go with me in your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 again uh, this morning. And uh, we're going to pick up from there. But let, let me just share this again. I, I'm just so honored all of you are here and uh, all of our guests. If you didn't fill out one of those cards, please do that uh, so we can connect with you. We just want to be able uh, to identify with you. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I think you guys, especially the home folk here that know me, I'm, I'm not really interested in just sermonizing anybody. I'm not interested in just preaching messages, even though I love to preach and I love to do. I was asked recently, what would be my dream job? And that would probably be to preach every day and just go home. And not have to worry about because I, I really do. I enjoy it. I love doing what I'm doing and, uh, and how God has gifted us over all of these years to do this. But I really believe this is more than just a series. I believe God is speaking. I, I really do. The Bible said man doesn't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I believe that God is calling his people in this hour that he wants us living victorious. Now, what is victory? Well, if you're going to live in victory, that means once in a while you're going to have a battle. It means you win over your foe. That's exactly what it means or that thing which is opposing you are coming against you. So I want you to look at this passage with me, Ephesians 6. I'm just going to read a few passages that we read last week. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Listen to what he says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there would be schemes or trickery, the things that he throws at us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, in the evil day and having done all to stand having done all to stand that word stand doesn't mean i'm trying to survive that's not the that's not what paul is talking about I'm just trying to make it to heaven. If I could just get through another day, if I can make it in by the skin of my teeth, friend, I want to tell you if your relationship with Jesus is based upon you getting in by the skin of your teeth, you're going to be in trouble because you may lose one of them before you get there. Hello, I got to have them more than just, I'm trying to get in. I believe that we can have a, a solid, stable place that no matter what is coming my way, I will not be defeated. I will not bend. I will not bow and I will not back up because I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for me. We're called to victory. This is a military word, actually, that says you take the stand and you don't give it up. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not giving it up. God's given me something. Notice a couple times, four times through, this, through these three verses that I've given you. Four different times is the encouragement. Take your stand in some form. Don't you give it up. You hang on because the evil day is coming. It may not be hitting you today, but it may be hitting the one sitting next to you. It's not a matter if it will come. It's a matter when it comes. If you're going to be in this life, there are going to be perilous times are going to come to every one of us. A perilous time may be a flat tire on the way to work. 
A peerless time may mean just like at my house this morning when I needed to iron a shirt, the iron quit. That's a peerless time. A peerless time to you. Listen, might be that you get an unexpected bill. Your tax rate went up. All of these things can impact us in so many ways. I know those seem so simple, but it's the simple thing of your response that the enemy takes advantage of you to pull you out of your position of Christ and to pull you into his position of defeat. We looked at what Paul said. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not repeating last week's message. But remember, he's talking about two wrestlers. This wasn't anything unusual for that day in the amphitheater that would seat 25,000 plus people to watch men in an amphitheater fight. And the guy that was victorious is the guy that stood on his feet. It wasn't like the WWE of the day where he climbed the top rope, threw him over his head, and then he falls on the mat and the ref comes in, one, two, three. It wasn't any of that. It's the man that's able to stay on his feet, but if he gets knocked down, he's going to get back up, and the only one laying on the mat is his enemy. So he tells us to be victorious. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, and he named those four levels. We talked a little bit about that last week. I believe there are people you don't realize what you're wrestling with. It's not flesh and blood. Sometimes you're wrestling with something that was never healed in your life that the enemy takes advantage of. You see, I believe our wounds, our traumas, our disappointments, our hurts, our aches of yesterday, if we don't deal with them and let Jesus step into our past and heal us, then it becomes an assignment area or an open door for the enemy to come and work with us. I believe it can be religious order of what we've been in all of our life that has kept us us in restraint. Uh, You know, it's not that what you believed is wrong. I, I just believe all of a sudden you come to light. God's word is always progressive. The day of the bulls and goats is over when Jesus came on the scene. But even though Jesus came on the scene, there's still people back at the temple and they're still going through the same motions today of trying to offer the bulls and the goats in order to be righteous before God. Now, if you lived in that all of your life and that's all you've been told and that's all you've been taught and all of a sudden light comes on, you'd be surprised the battle that now begins to enter into your life and the enemy comes along and tells Tells you there's nothing to the truth of where God is taking you. We also know that the, the, the Bible said that the spirits of this age, the people that are walking in darkness, are causing us all kinds of difficulties. They really are. It's causing us battles. It's stirring emotions in us. We didn't even dream that we had. It's causing things. And then lastly, he talked about the spirits in heavenly places. And like one brother said, listen, the devil is alive and well on planet earth. He's still working. If every time we bound him out and send him back to hell, we would never have no problem. Evidently, we're not doing a good job because a lot of us are saying, devil, I bind you up. I send you back to hell where you belong. Well, evidently, my authority didn't have much use because he's back up today. Come on. But there are real spirits that we're dealing with. And today, I'm going to take you into part two, and I'm going to talk to you about two that I believe you and I need to recognize. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Remember, there's a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And I believe there's two spirits that are really raking it in from the people of God. Recently, I had another dream. I shared it with a couple people. And in that dream, it was things are not as they appear. And I saw it was like a fake wall of a house and you could easily knock it down. If you've done, if you've done TV like we've done over the years, you'll know a lot of the sets on TV are not a real house. It's not a real wall. It's just something temporary that you could possibly even blow down almost. And behind that, it was getting knocked down. But I saw the biggest, fattest snake. It wasn't a... It wasn't a viper. It was like a, just, just a big anaconda or a, or a boa, something that comes and wraps itself around you, and it, it'll squeeze the very life out of you, but it has, the, it has the capability. If it can get itself positioned over you, it will swallow you whole. 
And it does many of its prey that it's after. And I believe as I meditated on that dream a number of times, this is what God said. The enemy's getting fat at the blessings that he is devouring that belong to the people of God because they don't know how to walk in the position that he called them to walk in. Hello? So we're going to look at a couple of things. He said, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But if you're going to, you and I are going to walk in victory, here's, here's where I want to deal with today. Two spirits. You and I are going to have to know who we really are. Because there's two spirits that work together. One of them is primary. The other one comes along with it. And I'm going to share them with you real quick and then we'll go into them or go into the, into the scripture. My emphasis isn't upon the devil. My emphasis is upon you, who you are, but I got to show you how he works. Okay. So here's the two spirits. Number one is the spirit of the orphan. Or the orphan spirit and the second one that walks hand in hand with it is the spirit of unworthiness. The orphan spirit and the spirit of unworthiness. Now I don't want to capitalize on them. I'm going to capitalize on who you are. Because remember who Paul is writing to into the church of Ephesus. I love it where he said, to the saints and to the faithful. Because that's how God sees all of us. He sees us as saints. And when he's talking about somebody being faithful, he's just talking about somebody that is doing everything they can, that is surrendered to him, say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, even though you may have mistakes in your life. He said to the saints and faithful, look at Ephesians 1, and then look at, the, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Oh, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible, really. He said, blessed be the God and Father. The word blessed here at the beginning of this is a word that simply means a something that is being stated good towards that individual. So he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense. And the word blessed there means he has pronounced. Let me find my notes so that I can make sure I'm saying it right. That he has blessed us or he has invoked a blessing, an official decree, an official, an official word over us. He has invoked a blessing to prosper and succeed and to carry out everything that he said we could do. It's not just some little church. I'm highly blessed and favored. No, 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 no. This is the highest authority of creation that has said, I created you in my image and likeness and I have blessed you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So now because of that official decree over my life, I have the legal right. Listen, church, I have the legal right to be, I have the legal right to do, and I have the legal right to have everything that this Bible says says I can have. Everything this Bible says I am, I can be it. Everything it says I can do, I can do it because it has been officially decreed over my life. But if you don't know that, you won't operate in that. So what does that mean to be blessed? And he lays this out. Because you're going to see some opposite of how the orphan spirit works. I'll bring you some characteristics of that in a moment. But you're going to see the opposite. The first thing that he says is in verse 4. He said this, for I have chosen. He said, for he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. One of the number one things that an orphan feels, he feels like he's unwanted. He feels like he has no purpose. He's a mistake. He just 
doesn't have any clue of what his life's about. He has no identity. And because he has no identity, he has no direction. And because he has no direction, he feels helpless. He feels hopeless. He feels powerless. And he feels like there's no purpose for his life. But for everybody in this room, I want you to hear what God said. I chose you before the world ever began. Now I know what it's like to be in elementary school, and when we used to we used to assign teams for uh, you you know to play kickball. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You were there. School can be a wonderful thing, and it can be cruel at the same time. Because they'd always choose the best two to be captains, and then they let those captains start picking. So who are they going to pick? They're going to pick the best, right? I'm going to get Johnny because he knows how to kick it. Well, if you're one of those guys and there's 25 or 30 kids in there getting picked and, man, you're sitting there in line hoping you got everything in there and now it's down to two. You ever been there? And that captain looks at that captain. I'll give you both of them. That's what he thinks. Now, they don't think anything about that, but what is going on in the mind of that kid? What's going on? He wants to play the game. He wants to be there, but he feels like, I'm last. I'm last. Nobody wants me. And because I'm last and nobody wants me, I have no value and I have no worth. I have not because they didn't. Choose me. You'd be surprised how many in, in, in church life, in church world, why didn't you choose me to speak? Why didn't you choose me to be on the platform? Why didn't you choose me for this? And boy, all of a sudden, all of these things begin to surface in our lives. And, and what we don't realize, church, it's not that that's necessarily a bad thing because our emotions are real. But our emotions, if they're messed up, boy, they're messed up. And the enemy knows how to play upon it. And a lot of times we don't understand or we don't see the whole picture of everything of why we're possibly not picked. Maybe there's something better for you. But if you're dealing with that orphan spirit... It will cause a stirring to go in you at the moment. I must be in that. I must be useless and I have no value to my life. Especially if you put all your, your value in one place. I like to watch uh, America's Got Talent and such as that. I think it's so funny especially in the early tryouts because a grandma will send her granddaughter or grandson to try out. You need to go sing. You need to go. You need to get on America's greatest platform because you can sing. You can dance. You can, you can do all kinds. You ought to go. And here they're standing before those judges. Grandma's standing up in the, in the bleachers and Little one walks out onto the thing. They're as nervous as they can possibly be. And they start whatever they do. If it's a song, they start bellowing like a, like a cow mooing in the night somewhere. And you can just see the, see the judges down there. They got the buzzers and you know, And another one goes, And another one goes, And the reality was, that was grandma. And you had two judges here trying to be honest enough to say, that's not where your gift is. But grandma's put a false glimmer of hope into something. I'm not saying that that's always wrong because we're, we're to build up and we're to strengthen. But if we're not careful, that orphan spirit jumps all over us. But I want you to see this. He said, I chose you before the foundation of the world. In other words, God said, I'm not going to do any of this without you. That's how valuable you are to me. 
I choose not to do anything until I have it all planned out. And I want you to be a part of the plan. And you're not born with the wrong color. You're not born the wrong nationality. You're not born the wrong height. Or you're not born with the wrong look. God has you and his eyes. You are absolutely perfect. I chose you before the foundation of the world. Oh, I got to do this quick. He said, not only did I choose you, but I adopted you. He went on to say, let me just read through this real quick. He chose us in him that we would be blameless before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He has given me, listen church, he has given me all the legal rights of the family. All of them. I watching while we were on vacation on why this show came to my mind. I was watching Duck Dynasty, and Willie and his wife. They that family adopts children, and there was a young man that had been with them, a young teenager, had been with them now for some time, and they were adopting him to now become one of the Robinson children. Now you got you all know that these guys probably have anything and everything they want. But it wasn't about the house and it wasn't about the show. It wasn't about all the toys. But the most wonderful thing happened that day when they went to that courtroom, stood before that judge, and the judge said in the final papers, and he officially became a Robinson. That young man was just about to bust. Why? Because now, for the first time, he was not living as an orphan. And church, you can live in the house and people love you and you feel like an orphan until you take that name upon you. That gives you an identity. He said, I called you to be a family member. Not only have I done that for you. Listen to us. He said, he has in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Well, if I hadn't have done this, he would want me. What did the word say he did? He bought us back. He redeemed us. He paid the price. Himself, himself, you have to understand, he wasn't playing a governor that was passing sentence. If there was a man in prison today getting ready to be executed at noon, a governor, all he has to do is pick up the phone, call that prison to that whoever's over that and say, stop it, I'm going to pardon him. That's one way. He's... But Jesus didn't operate as a governor. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. This is what Jesus did. Jesus went to the prison cell where you and I was. And he went into the room where we would have been strapped to the table and the lethal injections put in our arms. And it was Jesus that pulled the straps loose, took us off the table, put himself on the table, said, hook me up, boys, and now send it. And the Bible said he died for our sin. So why in the world would you think if he paid that price back there that he's going to keep holding that over your head up here? But see, that's the way orphans think. If I hadn't have done this, it's my fault. He adopted us. He accepted us in the beloved. You're accepted. Just That's something everybody in this room wants. I'm telling you, the greatest power of the day is going to be love. You better hear me. I know everybody's on. We need miracles. Yes, I believe in miracles. We're going to see in miracles. But I believe what people want and what the world needs now is somebody to love them exactly where they are and let the power of Jesus transform them. Hello. Everybody's looking for acceptance. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And I've been given an inheritance. An inheritance, yes, all that is his is mine. When do you get an inheritance? We usually don't get it until somebody dies. We don't get it until that 
some certain so-and-so dies or to the what do you what the the patriarchs or whatever the family who who that it then hey I, then I have a right to it not so in Christ the death has already come therefore everything that is his is mine and I can enjoy those things presently right now where I'm at so he said I've accepted you in the blood I've given you an inheritance so that we would be listen and he said he chose us that we would be to the praise of his glory I want to tell you how God looks at you now like I do with my grandchildren. Y'all know I love my family. I love my kids. And I'm not afraid and I'm not ashamed to show them off. I want everybody to know these guys are mine. Hello. These are mine. And man, when you guys will look at him and say, he looks like his papa, that even makes it better. <laughs> Come on, you know it does for you. It does the same thing for you. I run into people I hadn't seen in years but see pictures on Facebook. Hey, I saw your grandkids. You know what? A lot of them, they look just like you. I know. <laughs> they're to the praise. Listen, they're to the praise of the glory that is resting in me. That's how it is with God. When God looks down upon you, oh, if you and I could only take your greatest moment with your children or your grandchildren and you magnify it, that's how God is looking at each one of you. But that orphan spirit says, no, you don't want to look at me. And he sealed us. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. I want to tell you something, friend. He's marked you. That's what the word seals, like the insignia ring that has marked you, that says you belong to me. Back in the days when I was going to school riding the bus and my, my brothers would be on there, my oldest brother over me is Ralph. He was kind of the mean one of the family. He would identify himself, call it black sheep. He would fight in a moment. I never had to be in a fight because all I had to say was Ralph. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about why. Because they knew I belonged to him. They knew he was part of me. That's what God is saying to us. I want to tell you something, church. We've got to deal with this spirit of the orphan. And you've got to do opposite of it. You can't give in to it. When the spirit is working, we got to go the other way. And we got to identify. Let me give you just a couple other things. I've been giving you characteristics all the time. It says this. Here's what a few characteristics of an orphan spirit. Maybe some of you are dealing with it today. But I believe there's freedom in this house for you. Listen. Here's, what, here's a few characteristics. It, it doesn't believe that God can forgive us of our past sins. It'll keep me feeling hopeless, defeated, and I'm stuck. I can't get anywhere. Boy, this never happens to any of us. We're competing and comparing ourselves continuously to other believers. We do it to other churches. Churches do it to churches. Some church that's growing and glowing, and, and, and we're not... And we'll put out, oh, they're compromising. It's the way they're growing. The reality of it is we're just jealous we're not. Oh, come on. I'm being real and being honest. Y'all can sit there and lie if you want. I'm going to get free of this thing. He causes us to feel unworthy. It causes us to fear and walking in and not feeling our purpose and calling. I don't, have, I don't feel like I've got a purpose for my life. I don't feel like God has anything for me. I begin, here's another characteristic. I rely upon my own strength instead of the strength of God. I can do all things through Zach. It allows offense and hurt to separate me from the family of God. And church, we don't even realize that the day we're in, even with our online, and please, I'm not saying this to my online family. But people all over the nation are choosing to separate them from the body of Christ. And if you and I aren't aware and we're not attentive, they're already talking about days to come to try to separate everybody again. Don't think for a moment this is just the government trying to stop us from being sick. But I believe there are spirits in heavenly places trying to separate the body of Christ from being who they're supposed to be. And if you get separated, you'll die in fear. Fear, boy, that's a big one. 
fear and intimacy with God. Why would God want to get intimate with me? And that great feeling of unloved. Let me give you the second one real quick. And i got to get this jet down. Listen. We're going to deal with the spirit of, un- of unworthiness. When you go through the Bible, every great leader dealt with it. Moses said, but who am I? It was Gideon said, but who am I? David said, who am I? Paul said, look at what I've done. Even though he, he knew he was saved by grace, Paul was saying, I was a murderer, I was this and that, but I was unworthy because, but it was through God's grace. And we keep saying, who am I? Or I can't this, or I'm this. And if we'll listen to ourselves, it's I, 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 I. And we're constantly dealing with that. But look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to deal with that spirit right here. And he said, you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You hath he made alive. He didn't say I made you to exist. He's not talking about a mere existence with breath. He's talking about raising you up and bringing you into the resurrection life that came through Christ. And if that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it will bring life to your mortal body. What life? The life you were always intended to live. Before sin ever entered in. I like it in the Passion Translation says, He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. And and we ascended with him into his glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. He said he's raised us up. Let me walk with He said in which you once walk. We were once dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walk. Yeah, let's get real. Yeah, I once walked there, but I'm not there no more. To my friends that deal with addiction, you got to get out of this nonsense that even your program tells you that once an alcoholic or once addicted or once this, you will always be that. Back! That's wrong. That's not right. That's not what Jesus said. Yes, I once was. Your testimony isn't what you was. Your testimony is who you are. Come on, because some of us, if we don't feel like, I, I don't have a testimony. I just grew up in church. I was a church kid. I prayed. I read the Bible. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't cheat, I, I didn't do any, I don't have a testimony. That's the testimony that Jesus kept me from evil. It's just made not sound as glamorous as the axe murderer. Isn't it interesting that we glamorize that stuff? You did what? Tell me more of that. How many times did you shoot him? Did you get that on film? And we'll go pay to watch that. But let somebody that come up that said, I gave myself to Jesus when I was a child. I committed myself. And man, we don't want to pay attention because it doesn't seem glamorous. But that guy has more authority and more strength. He is a superhero beyond superheroes. Better get off of that. Said we once walked. Verse 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love were which he has loved us even when we were dead and and in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I got to ask you a serious question in this room. How many of you believe Jesus is alive and seated at the right hand of the throne on high? How many believe it? Most everybody in this room, that's really alive, right? I, I believe that's life to the ultimate. Here's the same. Jesus said, as believers, we are just as alive as he is. 
to the same degree. We are just as alive. And he has raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places together in Christ Jesus. He's raised us up. He's made me alive. He raised me up. He called me to the praise of his glory. But pastor, I didn't deserve it. But look at what he says. He raised us up together in heavenly places that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. For by grace you have been saved. I want to tell you, no, I didn't deserve it. I couldn't get there. But I was saved by grace. I was listening to Jensen's program for a few moments this morning. His daughter was preaching and she was preaching about don't waste the grace. And she said something that went off in me. Grace isn't a feeling. Grace isn't an ooey gooey. Grace isn't just a doctrine. Grace is Jesus. For we are saved by Jesus. And that not of ourselves. Through faith and that none of ourselves. It is the gift of God. We're saved by him. He saved us with a holy calling. For what purpose? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him, beforehand, that we should walk in them. I missed a statement that I wanted to make earlier. Let me find this note. It was pretty good for me, so I had to mark it. I want you to understand this with that verse alone and with everything I've just proved. Listen, you were a part of the master plan. God gave you an identity as being blessed. I don't care what your name is. I don't care if it's Johnny, Susie, Laquisha, whatever it would be. doesn't matter. God looks at you and calls you blessed. You have to understand, we've actually got three names. I've got the name that God put on me. I've got the name that my mom and daddy gave me. But the the enemy's also given me a name. But there's a name that's greater than all of them. And I choose to live under the name of the one that my father gave me. That God gave me and called me. But before, listen to this. We were identified in him and by him before we were ever formed, before you were ever named by your parent, and listen to this one, and before you ever sinned, you are already identified by God. Already identified by the Lord. So here's that spirit of unworthiness. I'm not qualified. It works right in hand with the orphan spirit. There's no possibility. But he said, I once walked in trespasses and sin. We've got to realize that church isn't about perfect people. It's about a perfect Savior that perfects every one of us. And we're perfected in him. Believe it or not, I'm perfect. So are you. Y'all looking at me like, so are you. You're perfected in Christ. But it's still manifesting out of this flesh. Pastor's done a phenomenal job over the last few weeks on Wednesday night teaching about the life of the kingdom. And you ought to go back on our YouTube channel and Facebook and you need to look at that again. Because he's preaching the same thing. Just laying it better, laying it out easier. But we're perfected in Christ. He raised us up in him. Here's the last thing as the worship team is making their way. You're going to overcome this thing. You've got to know who you are. Realize where he has seated you, that he has raised you up and repositioned you. And here's the third thing. He has placed us in a family. Boy, this is a big one right here. Because this is something that the world... It's fighting against with everything it's got. If everything is being reset, and many of you that are following the prophetic voices for our nation, they're talking about reset for our nation and the world. 
If everything in our nation is reset, and that's a word from God, then you have to understand everything in the church will be reset. Not just the nation. Everything is being reset. What is it? Reset. It's going back to original design. Do you know the first institution that God established was not the church? It was family. It's the first institution that was established. You wouldn't possibly even be here if it wasn't for family. Family is so important. Far greater than what we know. And we, the church, think we're a family and we're not. We're just acquaintances. The brother back there, I, he's been here for several weeks. He lives up the road and hope you don't mind me using you for a moment. I, I've seen him sit back there, but I really don't know him. Sorry, it's my fault. Haven't gone and sat down. Hey, let's go have a coffee. Let me get know who you are. I got 30 seconds with him before service. Hey, don't you live around here? Yeah, I'm, I, I live down the road from Van and Beth. But I could say he's been here enough. I'm making my family. I don't know you. Sorry, I want to. I see some of you in this room. You don't know people around you. I know your face, but, but we really don't know one another. And we were never designed to do life outside of the family. Never. God looked at Adam when he created him. He created him male and female. But he first, I guess, created this one that he called man. And in him was male and female. Right? God looks at this man in the beginning. This is the very beginning. He said, it's not good. This isn't good. That man be alone. Because God had already pronounced blessing over him. I'm confident of that. But he said, him alone can't do it. So God caused that deep sleep to come upon him. Took from him part of his inside, a rib. He fashioned this beautiful part, this female portion that was of him brings them together that through intimacy together through this close relationship now they would fulfill the purpose (coughs) of God and that the glory of the Lord would be revealed through all the earth I, I got news for you we're all looking for glory God's looking for his family please hear me While you and I are looking for glory, God's looking for his family. Because we've made the glory a cloud. We've made the glory a a, a feeling. We've made the glory this. When the reality, Pastor, you said this the other night. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. If you want to know where the glory is, go home and look in the mirror. And the more that we come together, the more that we build together, The more that we stand together, the more we do life together, the better we are, the more glory is revealed in the earth. The more glory. Isn't it interesting over all the years? You can go through times and see God move and especially they would move into these areas called family of commitment and life together that the enemy never failed to pervert it. And to get people to run from it instead of getting closer to one another. I don't care what church you're a part of. I don't care where you've been. Some of our things, we can do this at home. You used this the other night. I don't mean preach your message again, but it's so true. And many years ago, a song came out, Me and Jesus. Got our own thing going. Me and Jesus, we've got it all worked out. Yeah, you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But listen to what he said here. Verse 19 of chapter 2. And this jet's coming down quick. He said, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. But you are fellow citizens. With the household. With the members 
You are, let me read it again. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and with the members of the household of faith. What is a household? It's family. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostle and prophet Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom, listen, in whom the whole building being present work, being fitted, being fitted together grows. Wait a minute. We're wanting to see more. It doesn't come if we're not fitted. It doesn't come if we're not connecting. Sorry. Being fitted together. Grow into a holy temple unto the Lord. What was the temple? God said, build me a sanctuary that I can put my glory. In whom you are also being progressively working built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit we're being built we're being set we're being established we're being reset church some of you are trying to do church outside of the church I appreciate it I, 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 I'm so glad that we had had internet and everything during the shutdown and lockdown but it was never meant to take the place of us coming together but may I say this just cause you showed up doesn't make us come together either that's why we believe that God is leading us he's resetting his church and I believe he's bringing us back to original plan and pattern. And I want everybody to please hear me because I'm going to announce something new coming. That in October, we're going to launch what we're calling life groups through the week. Wednesday night won't be like it is right now. But we're going to do life groups. And life groups have this purpose. To bring us together in meaningful relationships. A place that you can come. You can relate to other people that maybe are like you or walk where you've walked and place that you can open up your heart. You can share with one another. A place that we can develop meaningful relationships. A place that we can equip and we can build quicker. We can equip greater. I believe through these, what we're calling life groups. And not only that, but a place that we can impact our world. If you and I will open up our heart to our friends and to our people around us and say, hey, I want to do life with you. That's why our core value of our church is simply this. We are better together. I know, I know what some of you think. Ah, oh, pastor, we've done that in the past. Pastor, we're trying. Listen, if we're in a reset, go look at the pattern of the Bible. This is how the early church functioned. Remember when it said they were built here upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church. And the Bible says in Acts 2, And these continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of prayers, breaking of bread and in prayer. And they went from house to house. Yeah, we're going to give you more dynamics of how it's going to work in the days in the next few weeks. But I'm going to encourage everybody in this place. Last night I felt compelled yesterday. Many of you will know our dear friends Mark and Jennifer McCord. And while we were in prayer yesterday, Mark just really come to my heart. And I called him up late last night. And said, Mark, you're on my heart. What's up, man? He said, Pastor, I, I, he said, there's really nothing wrong. But he said, me and Jennifer have, listen to this. Mark, Mark and Jennifer are a great couple. They led, he was manager of Red Lobster. He led school bands. I mean, him and Jennifer are excellent couple. And man, God uses them like crazy. And they were part of a big church up in St. Louis that I'll just leave nameless. 
And as soon as they got there, they kind of put them in leadership and management. And this is what he said. And I'm, I'm repeating what he said. He said, Pastor, we led groups. We positioned volunteers. We've done all of these things in the church. And he said, and I'm talking to church, mega church. And he said, you know what, Pastor? Me and Jen have not had one friend from that church. He said, we knew names. We didn't have any friends. He said, we knew names. We saw faces. We didn't have any friends. God began to lead them. He said, I felt like his business has taken him different places. He's a painter and it's growing and it's crazy what's happening there. And he said, the Lord began to lead him. He said, I want you to go back to your church that you grew up in. It's where his parents was. And honestly, he said, I didn't want to go there. He said, I really didn't want to. He said, they knew too much about me. He said, I didn't want to go there. This is what he's telling me last night. These are his words because it was confirming my heart for today. He said, Pastor, the Lord told me to get in covenant relationship with them and to crawl in to their small groups and begin to build relationship. And I thought, Mark, that's exactly what God is saying. He's revealing. He's showing us. Some of you are trying to do this. You've got nobody meaningful in your life. And the scripture says this, and I'm done. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And the more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Many of us, especially us gray hairs in the room. That's me included. Michael. That's two lunches for you, Michael. Listen, many of us believe that Jesus is coming that soon. He's soon to come. Well, if that's the case, then that verse means something different. It says, the more so as the day of the Lord approaches. And if God is going to bring judgment, as some would think, man, how much more? How much more do I need you in my life? And because I want to tell you, when things get shaky and things get rocking, I need somebody to help me when my faith is weak. Somebody help me up. Somebody strengthen me. And maybe I could be there to add as well. But see, again, we're working with the orphan spirit. And that orphan spirit says, I have no family. I don't fit anywhere. I don't have a place. Some of our small groups are going to be based upon interest. It might be a pickleball game. Might as well get you a paddle. We're going to play pickleball. It might be based upon tacos. That's a hint. It's been a while. That's a hint. We got a group. We're calling them a small group now. They're sewing together. But they're coming together doing some measure of life. It might be a group meeting around a book. It might be a group that's going to crawl into the Word and say, we want to walk through the book of Romans or the book of Hebrews. It might be a group that's going to come and pray and, and seek the face of God. But nonetheless, it's us building, us doing life. It may just be a group having dinner together. Boy, I'm going to make sure that I'm around that group. But that orphan spirit is working very hard against the people of God in unworthiness. And there's freedom for you today.